Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. On uh, Monday, the last day in Monday, the last day in February, uh, 2023, it's February 27th, okay? March comes in like a lion, and here in Maine, where I live, okay, it goes out like one, two, usually. We don't get spring till mid-April. I have a feeling it might be the same way in beautiful Wyoming, which is where we're going to go today. We're going to be talking to uh, Dr. Scott Thomas and Dr. Mia, uh, excuse me, Maya. Maya Williams, okay, and they are both professors, okay, at the University of Wyoming, and they have come up with a uh, master educator competency program for educators, and I believe it can stretch outside of Wyoming, and also a Wyoming teacher mentor core, which we're going to be talking about with them, and the whole idea, we have to improve teacher retention, okay, we have to improve teacher recruitment. All right, in everywhere across the country and in a rural state like Wyoming, okay, that's incredibly important. It's so hard to find teachers, okay, anywhere, and the more rural we get, the harder it is, I have to say. Okay, so we're going to have a lovely conversation with Dr. Thomas and Dr. Williams, okay, in just a few minutes. We're going to archive this show like we always do over at ace-ed.org. Please go over there and visit. Everything we do over there is free for educators. That's the home website of our American Consortium for Equity in Education. And we have our magazine, Equity and Access, over there. Just click on the cover. It's a really nice issue. We're putting together the next issue. It will come out at the end of March, okay, for, for all of you. But this issue is really excellent, all about our Equity Award winners. All right. We have teacher-retention.com linked over there. And that's obviously our teacher retention site and professional development site. All right. And we also have seltoday.org plus tons of information. We're happy to give. We hope you will join our consortium for equity. It's free for educators. We hope you will get subscribed to our magazine, which comes with this consortium membership. It's free for all educators. So please check it all out over at ace-ed.org. And now from Maine, where I am, to to Wyoming. I almost said Miami. Okay, Wyoming. Hello, Scott. Are you there? I am, Larry. Good morning to you. Good morning, Dr. Thomas and Maya. Are you there? Am I, Maya, is your name Mia or Maya? <laughs> it, it's Maya. Can you hear me okay? I can indeed. Because uh, the, the, my Perfect. business partner... Over here is also a Maya, but she's M-A-I-A as opposed to M-I-A. That, that's why hey, I Larry, that's how my wife spells it. That's a very rare spelling. There you go. Okay. And she must be beautiful and intelligent like my partner, Maya Appleby. That's, that's all I can say about all these Mayas. Okay. <laughs> that seems to run in all that. Okay. Boy, congratulations, guys. Let's talk about the University of Wyoming. Uh, Scott, you're dean of the College of Education. Just tell us. How many students are there? Tell us all about it. Hello, Larry. Uh, we have about 1,000 students in the college. About 700 are undergraduates, uh, 100 are graduates. We have an academic community of about a 90 to 100 uh, professors and, and other faculty that do a lot of field experience. Uh, we are the only uh, university in the state of Wyoming. We are the flagship research university, and I like to say that we are flagship and fleet in Wyoming. So we are also the only educator preparation. Uh, program in Wyoming as well. So there are a lot of uniques there. There's a lot of weight on the college as a function of that. Um, And we work obviously very closely with uh, our Wyoming Department of Education and our district, our 48 districts across the state. 
Well, it's it's just, it's it's amazing. Maya, what do you do there? You are assistant professor of learning, design, and technology. What's that all about? That that's correct. So um, it's in the educational technology area, and we have graduate programs. We have master's programs and doctoral programs, and then we have the educational technology course within the undergraduate teacher preparation program. Excellent. Thank you both for being here today. I really appreciate it. And also to my buddy, John White, who helped me set up this show. Thank you, John. This is great. Okay. And uh, Dr. Scott Thomas, okay. I, I, I meant to, it, it, and you might have answered, okay, but it passed through my head. How many students are in the College of Education? We have about 1,000 students, Larry. Okay. And are, are, there, are they undergraduate or graduate or that, that everybody we have uh, 700, 700 or so undergraduates, 300 uh, graduates, um, and we graduate. This I think this will be very relevant to our conversation this morning. No. We graduate between 200 and 250 novice teachers each year. And I have to ask, and by the way, the, 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 what's happening in Wyoming is happening everywhere. There's a tremendous teacher shortage and a tremendous shortage in the pipeline. Uh, at, at its peak, how many students, how many teachers were you graduating each year? And maybe this is the peak, but I have a feeling it is. Well, no, the peak was uh, about 280, and it looked like that was back okay. in uh, the early 20-teens. That's not bad, actually. Okay, 280 you're 250 now you're graduating? Uh, that's generous, 200 to 250, depending on uh, the, the ebb and flow of our enrollment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But maybe maybe as, as worse as a as a third less. Okay. But it's painful right. to even say that we want more, not less. Okay. And it's a challenge out there. It, re- it really is. Okay. And uh, so let's talk about this. How bad is teacher shortages in Wyoming? Okay, Scott. I'll stick with you for a few minutes here. Scott. That sounds, sounds great. Well, I was asked I was asked to talk to the legislature about this uh, over the summer, and we did a careful analysis of the Wyoming Department of Education data, and it looks like we have about a uh, 11, 9 to 11% year-over-year attrition rate. We, uh, we replaced about uh, a little over half of that each year, so if you, you put that in real numbers, uh, we're losing about 800 teachers a year, according to my analysis of the Wyoming Department of Education data, and we're replacing about 500 of those teachers each year. Obviously, if we're graduating 200 to 250 students, uh, the balance of those teachers are either within state transfers, so they're you know, moving from school to school, uh, hmm. or they're coming from uh, institutions on our borders. Uh, and you know, they're a, Wyoming's a big state, uh, smallest it, state oh, population. I think it's the third, yes, the third largest state in terms of uh, size. Uh, my yep. geography pals will correct me on that uh, if, if I've got that exactly wrong. Uh, but the point is we're big and, and we're sparsely yeah, populated are. and there are many areas of the state that are closer to institutions uh, in other states on our borders than to Laramie, which is down yeah. on the southern border, the southeastern border of the state. So uh, so we're lacking uh, chronically about 300 to 325 teachers a year. That's how many classrooms are, are at threat of being unfilled at the end of every year. And what do you see as, I'm going to ask you this, what do you see as the trend well, uh, the trend is exactly what we're looking at nationally. Um, there are fewer people that are interested in, in engaging in education as a profession, unfortunately. Uh, we can you know, see all the reasons in front of us, uh, deep professionalization of the work. Um, as you pointed out in your introduction to the show, this is, uh, I think, uh, magnified in, in rural areas for 
a variety of reasons, but it's, it's harder to find educators uh, for our rural schools than for our suburban yeah. and urban schools. Yeah, it, it's brutal. And, the, and, the, and I have to say, you know, Wyoming, I live in Maine, okay, which is a pretty rural state, although we're closer to, you know, more metropolitan areas, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's, it's brutal here, too. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And Mia, I have to ask you this. Okay, Mia, I'm sorry, Maya, forgive me, Maya. Okay, I'm, I'm reading That's MIA, okay. so I'm saying me. It's my, my Philly uh, right. reading no experience worries. here. Yeah, Maya, okay, you're, prof- you're professor of learning, design, and technology. What are you finding amongst the new students coming in? Are they sticking with it once they get involved with it all? What's happening? Maya? In terms of the undergraduates? or Yeah, yeah that's what I'm curious about, yeah. Mm-hmm. They... Gosh, that's a that's a tricky question because we have a lot of students. Our class is early in the program, so we get um, freshmen and sophomores that take the the technology class as, as they're going into their teacher preparation courses. And you know they're excited about education, but we also have those students who are questioning: Is this really the field you know that mm-hmm. I want to go yeah. into? And yeah. and so you know I they have to make that decision as they're getting into their coursework. And I hope that we do a, you know, a good job of retaining them in our programs and, and bringing them through the teacher preparation. But, you know, they look at the world in front of them and it's, it's tough to go into teaching. And so I'd and say that, to be a teacher. you know, I don't have yeah. a, it is for sure. Yeah. And, you know, they, they have a lot of skills. And with our class, you know, they're comfortable with technology but we're really trying to help them transition from being a user of technology in their personal life to being able to <laughs> use that to to stimulate learning and engage their yeah. students. And, and, you know, and so it's a change of mindset. And some of them are like, okay, nope, this is not what I thought teaching would be, you know, and we lose them before we Why ever get them in the program. Yeah. So, yeah, it, 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 it's, so, yeah, it's, 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 that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. I have to ask you this. And again, you were involved in the earlier years of their teaching, of their learning experience as teachers. I'm curious about this. You know, I, by the way, I, I have a master's in education, but it's many years old now. Okay. And um, I'm curious. We, we've learned a lot about the way people learn. All right. And, and one of the, and, and, and when I always find my degree, my undergrad degree is a BS, a bachelor in science, yet science had nothing to do with it at all. Okay. In those days, teaching was an art. I don't care what anybody says, although they gave me a BS, a bachelor of science. And I'm curious, Maya, okay, knowing what we know about neuroscience and learning, are we, are we involving kids early in, the, in the understanding that they're actually becoming, if I may, scientists? This is, learning is a neuroscience, and I'm just curious where that stands. I'm always when I can talk to a professor about it. I'm always interested. Maya, what are your thoughts on that? That if you want to pass it to the dean, can, you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that some of that falls in some of the other courses, but you know, it's good. It's become much more of a balance between the theory of learning and the application of learning, right? And and even in those early classes that they take before they're really in, yeah. um, you know, the, the throes of the teacher preparation, they're, they're seeing the, you know, how those scientific um, academic research fits into that practice, right, that they'll be going into. So I think it's a balance. Um, as far as brain research, I'm not really sure where that fits in our program. We touch on it a little bit. 
but mostly in the space of, you know, visual literacy and, and how you engage students in, in learning, you know, to like keep their attention and, and how the technology fits as a tool in that space. But yeah, the boy, um, yeah, yeah if the yeah, Dean has does. more to add to that, I, he jump right in. We shall turn to the Dean. Your Majesty the oh, Dean. Oh, boy. Your Majesty the Dean. I think he and, just, he and just left the room. The reason I'm asking this, the reason I'm asking this, we're getting into, <laughs> going to get into teacher retention, okay? And yeah. I always feel that teachers need to understand that what they're doing is extremely important, okay? And it's not anecdotal, okay? It's for real. These are learning facilitators. These people are managing the learning of the next generation. That's freaking important okay and we, we got to make them understand that we're going to get into the teacher retention and all that i'm just curious about it because i love talking to a dean of college of education scott thomas dr thomas okay well 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 first of all and what, if what, i may what, i what love your minor, english uh, muffins by the way i love your english muffins so uh, well, there you go. Well, well, well thank you uh you're welcome um <laughs> I'm hung up on the English muffin <laughs> comment here. Uh, neuro, neuroscience and, and uh, the work that we're doing. Uh, minor correction in, in what you just said, Larry. I'm, I'm totally Please. on board with, uh, with your characterization of this. And that is that uh, our, our professional educators are not managing learning. They're leading learning. And, and I, I think that that's a, not a subtle distinction, that we're asking them to really, we're trying to prepare them in ways that they can lead learning and they can tap the science. Yeah. Of, of teaching and learning um, and, and cognitive science, and you're you know you're talking with Maya about learning design and technology aspects, but learning science rolls directly into uh, our entire curriculum. Um, so you know specific courses that may have uh, more or less of, of an emphasis, but we are very attuned to the latest in cognitive and in, in learning science and neurosciences. Uh, this connects to uh, the master educator competency program in, in some pretty important ways. So. Um, I guess most importantly, uh, we, we really took a shift to with the Master Educator Competency Program, which I know we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, we are. To focus on competencies, you know, not on you know, time is a terrible measure of learning, um, and, oh, and it, well it's competencies that we're, we're we're really interested in. So, you know, how well can our our, our learners uh, demonstrate mastery of concepts that are critical to to the, their success and the success of their students? So that's a, that's a bit of a paradigm shift in terms of the way we think about uh, preparing our educators. And, and that is built on, uh, on cognitive science in terms of the idea, right? So it's not about just acquiring knowledge as we do in a lot of our, our traditional university courses. That's very, very important. But it's about showing that you've acquired the knowledge, but more importantly, showing that you know how to apply the knowledge and set it relevant to advancing learning in your classrooms. So that's, uh, that does come from... Uh, the past two decades of, of neuroscience and, and cognitive science around teaching and learning. That, uh, you know, that, that's a shift in the way we think about the, the demonstration of learning uh, is, is part of our process. And, you know, you, you said a few minutes ago that you, you, spoke, to, you know, spoke to the Wyoming legislature, and the legislature and school boards, okay, need to understand how well-trained and professional, okay, these people are. Okay, everybody knows their teacher. Okay, and everybody remembers teachers. Unfortunately, they mostly remember their high school teachers when the when the, the elementary school teachers built that foundation, etc. But obviously, the way human memory works. Okay, we tend to love our high school teachers, and that's the way we see education. But education has changed. 
okay? And it's become much more of a science, if I may, okay? Much more of a technology-based occupation, if I may, okay? And when people start to understand the way these – the way you folks are training educators, okay? This is not a low-paying job, okay? This is something that has to be appreciated, Okay, because they are the people who are teaching, if I may, your children, the local you. Okay, and it, it's just so important we get that message across to everybody. Okay, these are highly trained individuals. Okay, in an extremely important profession. And on that note, I'll just ask Scott there, Scott, how are we doing on, before we get into the mentor core, how are we doing on teacher salaries in Wyoming? Uh, we used to be uh, a leader. We've, we've lost ground, uh, and we are not as competitive regionally as we used to be. So we used to be in the driver's seat for uh, it, on, on a compensation basis to, to draw teachers from, from other states, and we've lost that advantage. So we're, uh, we're, we're, we're struggling economically uh, on that yeah. as well. I, Larry, I want, want to connect to something that you, you, you said a moment ago about the professionalization. That, that connects to this. You can... You can buy people if you have the money, or if you have the money and you're willing to spend it. It's a political will question, I think, on, on, yeah. on that front. But, but in our in our current environment, uh, our politicians uh, too often seem to believe that they know more by doing a Google search than professional yeah. educators who spent years and years studying and keeping up with science of, of teaching children in the state. Yeah. So this is you know you know that that balance of compensation and. Uh, professional respect is something yeah. that we struggle with in in, in every state. Now, in, in the th this is a unique feature of of the program that that we're engaged in the Master Educator Competency Program to support teachers in the field. Um, and one of the things we did with this program is we went and talked to our educators and we asked them, "What do you what do your students need to know by 2030?" Um, and this aligns with other work that have been going on in the state. With our State Board of Education, they've developed something called the Profile of a Graduate. Mm -hmm. the, governor put, uh, 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 the governor put a, a group in place uh, called Reimagining the Delivery of Education. Great uh, advisory group to the governor on this. And they came back and said, you know, we should be focused on competencies. We should be focused on pathways. We went into the schools, and Maya can, can say a little bit more about this. She was very involved in this. And we asked the teachers, you know, what, what, what do your students need to know by 2030? And they told us, and it was consistent with what these other groups had heard. But then we asked them, what do you need to know to ensure that your students achieve those goals by 2030? And they told us. So we, we, from that, we were able to build competencies that were important to our professional educators, rather than coming and saying, oh, you know what, you need to know a little bit of this, a little bit of that. The way we traditionally do PD we went out and asked them, and we heard the darndest things. So uh, we, we developed eight competencies in a pilot, uh, a pilot phase of the project this summer as we, we traveled to seven different districts and talked to about 200 teachers. And of the eight competencies we developed, and we could talk about them later, six of them had learning-centered in them. So, for example, yeah. model and cultivate learning-centered mindsets, uh, collaborate, communicate, and create in a learner-centered system. So our educators are really interested in how to recenter the student in their work. And this is so mm -hmm. different than the environment that we're operating in, just doing everything you can to pull teachers away from centering students in their work. So that was you know, pretty key to, 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 to this part of the effort. And it connects back to your neuroscience. It connects back to professionalization of, of our educators. And Maya, maybe you want to say a little bit more about uh, those first learning 
uh, experiences that we had with our educators across the state. Dr. Williams? Sure. Um, I think that the magic of it was really, you know, putting the teachers in that space to tell us what they needed. And, and they sure did, right? They loved being able to hash through their ideas and think about, you know, what they needed in their local setting. And I think that's what makes this program so unique is because professional development is often here's this thing that we think you need and that we're going to give you, <laughs> but we never ask the, the, you know, the learners, what do you need? Yes. And yeah. in education, we're pushing so much to build classroom community and involve students in learning and, and helping them with, you know, project-based experiences and being, you know, active participants in the construction of that learning Yet in our professional development, we haven't been doing that. And so this program embraced that process. I have to say, Maya, that's why the tailor always has the baggiest pants, okay? We want student voice, but when the teachers are the students, we're, we, we can just tell them what they need as opposed to asking them, thank God you guys are changing that. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah, well, and I, I think that that is what – you know, it's really setting this learning apart. And to have yeah. it be in a competency-based space, you know, we're building this experience for teachers who are the learners that's adaptive, it's contextual, it's relevant to their needs in their unique situations. You know, going to seven different locations across Wyoming, they were all unique. They all had different student needs that were, you know, the focus of the teacher's they all had different situations. Wyoming is a really unique space in that everything is, is rural. Even our, yeah. you know, more metropolitan areas are pretty rural, right? And, and yet one corner of the state is completely different than the other corner of the state, right? There's yes, so much space so in between. And for us to say, you know, as, as the designers of this, what if we ask teachers to get those unique answers from different parts of our state, we were able to to build something that is cohesive for Wyoming and also specific for those individual needs. And it's, you know, I'm really excited to see how the pilot goes as we're about to launch um, the teachers engaging with the learning modules, right, and, oh. and having that experience of testing it out. So I'm really excited and, and, to see how it goes. It's going to be very exciting, and, and I want you to actually um, – what, what, I'll say it simply, okay? Uh, Maya, you can do this. You can pass it to Scott. Okay, describe – it's called the Master Educator Competency Program, all right? So a, a teacher registers for this, and I'm going to ask some interesting questions. Do they have to pay for it? Is the state paying for it? Okay, are there scholarships? Can people from other states jump on? Because your pals in Montana next door have the same aggravations you do. Maybe they want to try this too. Okay, so are we talking to just Wyoming teachers? How's this whole thing works? And when it, when it's done, do they get a raise in pay? That kind of stuff. Uh, Maya, I'm going to ask you those questions, and you can pass them to Scott if you want to. And feel free sure. to do that. I, ask I'm him gonna, all the I'm hard questions because he's the dean. He's the dean. Ask him, and you can pass everything you want over to, over to him. Okay. 
<laughs> Perfect. I'm going to answer part of that and then kick it to him. So for the seven districts that we we went to and, and built those competencies around the information that they shared with us at the listening sessions, they are the ones that are now engaging in the pilot. So they're getting into the the micro learning experiences that we've built and they're testing them out. That whole participation is free to them. Each micro-credential component is credit-bearing, and so it does help them with, you know, their pay scale mm -hmm. and building credits scale. and right. moving forward right. and right. right and that kind of thing. Um, and so there is a vision, though, of moving this to, you know, a, a paid entity, and that's where I want to kick it to the dean because I think he can explain it a little <laughs> bit better. But, you know, our vision is developing this, testing it out, you know, making sure that we're we're working out all of the kinks with these, you know, these excited participants mm -hmm. that we've been working with so far and then, you know, growing it, right? And we have high aspirations. So this is, you know, going to work for Wyoming and and then everyone else, right? Like where else can we take this after we've kind of That's got great. it rolling and figured it out? So that, as far as the is, pay structure for that, I'm going to kick that part to the dean. <laughs> Your majesty, the dean? <laughs> All right. Um, we'll get to that answer, Larry. It will be uh, – we're envisioning a, a like a flat fee degree program here. So and not, mm -hmm. we're, we're getting you – know, units don't make as much sense in a competency-based format as they do in a time-based format. We're using Carnegie Credit Hour. So a flat fee program – where it would be you know, $12,000 for the entire master's degree and be able to deliver it across a year would be where this is headed, something like that as an example. Mm -hmm. I give you that. But let me take a step back. Sure. We're working right now with, with professional development. And as Maya said, uh, for our, our pilot districts, uh, this is all we're providing this to them with no charge because they're helping us co-develop this. And this is, I think, uh, you know, the least we could do in terms of uh, being responsive to them. And, yes, they will be. Uh, recognized uh, in terms of pay on their side, that each of the districts Great. that we work with has some kind of compensatory scheme or recognizing uh, professional development credits that can be counted toward, uh, toward degrees eventually. Let me take a step back, though. <clears throat> We're working within an $18 billion a year field of professional development for education. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't even get oh, my yeah. head around that, okay? You can. <laughs> you talk to people uh, all day, yeah, every day around the, around the country about this. But, you know, most of that PD is, is not really tightly relevant to, to the needs that it, it, it aspires to, to, to serve. So we're trying to solve the need for systematic, relevant professional development support, specifically for rural educators. And that gets to your question about Wyoming or Montana. Rural educators, okay, because we think we have something um, uh, quite unique in the way that we're, we're, we're approaching this. Um, I saw a statistic. Uh, some of my colleagues published something in, uh, I'm looking across the desk here, in the Rural Educator uh, mm -hmm. in, in the recent issue, and they point out that 30% of U.S. teachers work in rural schools where geographic isolation and a lack of peers make it difficult them, for them to engage in collaborative professional learning relationships with colleagues. So part of this is helping create a space where we can connect our rural educators in ways that traditional forms of, of PD don't. So, so the innovation that we're looking at here 
is a totally new kind of programming, enhancing quality and accessibility for teachers in any, in any area. So uh, I think key features of it would have to be we wanted to be respectful of their existing knowledge and expertise. So that's the competency-based part. So people come to learning with varying levels of experience already and mastery of particular concepts. We want to respect that. We want to start people where they where they have the knowledge to begin most productively. Second, we want to make it relevant to their immediate and anticipated needs. We want a job embedded. This is why we're listening to them, helping, you know, we're having them help us understand what's relevant to their job and to their mm -hmm. needs in the setting. And then third, we wanted it aligned with, and to your point here, we wanted it aligned with incentives in their workplace. We mm -hmm. wanted credits that drive more learning and greater earning yep. potential for them. So those are three things that, that really get at the innovation. Now, now, the other thing we wanted to do, here's a phrase for you. I worked <laughs> in Vermont before I came to Wyoming. Oh, um, and I thought I knew From I thought small I knew to big. Boy, you, boy, there's a change in state size, i got to tell you. Small to Ooh. big, but the only state yeah. that was smaller than Wyoming, I'm sorry, smaller than Vermont population was Wyoming. Um, wow. But uh, wow. we're trying to solve for what's known here as the tyranny of distance that frustrates access for many across the state and in all rural areas, not just in Wyoming, and for the inferior educational design of a lot of the PD. So this is online. It unlocks value and creates a more efficient time, uh, you know, time usage and more efficient use of resources because all of this is online in an asynchronous format that's supported by our faculty as you know, real-life learning coaches along the side. So those are some of the key things that, that, that I think set this program apart. That field work that we did, we went out and listened to people. We structured, I gave you a, a very simple framing of, you know, what do you need your students to know by 2030? What do you need to know to make sure your students achieve that by 2030? Mm -hmm. We actually structured it. We, ha we have a great partner, Two Revolutions, that's done a lot of this work. And um, I've had a couple of... Uh, of very close mentors as, as I've been thinking about some of this program. One of them is a man by the name of Arthur Levine, who's been championing Say it again. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Say his name again. Say his uh, name again. Arthur, Le Arthur Levine. And Arthur was the president of the Woodrow Wilson Foundation. He was mm -hmm. president of uh, Columbia's Teachers College for, for quite a period of time. Yeah, okay. He's been working this space for, for a while. And I, I uh, got to working with him on, on what this could look like. And, and through that, I identified a partner with Two Revolutions, who's a very technical partner. They work with districts and states around the country. I've heard their of them. Their expertise is really, they're, they're fantastic. And, and they've become intellectual partners as well as technical partners in this work. They came in and helped us with this dream dread design framework to really elicit uh, constructive input that would help us identify the competencies that we went back to the districts with. We asked the teachers with our Two Rev partners, working with us, what excites you? You know, what do you imagine that's the dream part? You know, what do you dream could be uh, in, in your school, in your district? What do you dread? Same thing, you know, what, what terrifies you? Uh, and what's the worst case scenario? We heard a lot about that. And then if you could design this over again, if you could take, take the dreams and the dreads, what would you design? You have brought us that framework to help elevate the conversation that we had with our teachers across the state, and from that derived competencies that we worked, you know, we kept, it was a reflexive process. We kept going back and forth with the districts to identify the competencies. From that, we built programming on the TwoRev platform, and that programming is, is um, as Maya said, uh, it's adaptive. Um, it 
picks up about 19 data points every time a learner is working through a, a module. So we take a competency and we basically break it out into um, five or six uh, learning modules. So it's, you know, we, we take one idea and then we break it down into five or six constituent pieces. Each of the constituent pieces has its own learning objectives with it. And as the learner is working her his way through that material, the 2Rev platform is adapting, making it more or less challenging mm -hmm. to help ensure mm -hmm. that the learner is headed toward mastery of the concept. So mm -hmm. therein is the technical innovation. I think the substantive innovation is the way we went out and listened. And the technical innovation is the way that this platform actually learns from the learner and adapts to yep. ensure mastery. And then, then our faculty come in and they validate the learning. So this isn't just sort of all AI-driven and algorithm will tell you whether you're passed or not. No, our faculty are alongside giving feedback that's and then good. ultimately validating that the student has mastery of the concept. You know, you opened up so many doors with, with what you just said. It's just amazing. And by the way, you have a great person, Maya, who's, who's a professor of ed tech. Okay, you know, that, that's great that you have her on board with, with all this. It's important. And I love that line, the tyranny of distance. Okay, I live in the land of smaller states, although mine's the biggest. I live in Maine, but New England is small states, easy distance-wise, easy to get to. You go out to Wyoming, and you can fit all of New, New England in half of Wyoming, so to speak. Okay, it's, it's just amazing, that, that lying tyranny of, and you know that from your time in Vermont. Were you at U, UVM? Right. You at UVM? I was at UVM. I was, I was dean of the College of Education and Social Services oh. at UVM. Lucky you. What a wonderful place that is. Lucky okay, you. We go. Right. Fantastic. I've been very fortunate. Yeah, yeah. and you're, it's wonderful where you are now, but... Uh, because that's a beautiful spot as well. But I'll tell you, UVM is just terrific. We're heading up there a few times in, in April. So the tyranny of distance. So I'm curious, okay, and it's going to try to pinpoint this. We, you're in a rural state. There's a lot of rural education challenges, okay? And I love what you're doing. Please don't misunderstand that. But how do you just pinpoint it for me, how it affects uh, rural, okay? Rural teacher retention, okay? Just focus on that, okay? And you said, I love that phrase, is it just that it's online? How do you see it helping rural teacher retention? Okay. But I know Ma Maya pointed out. Goes. Yeah. Right, right. Learn, learn as it goes. But Maya pointed out that um, uh, this is actually, since we're doing this in different parts of the state, we're, we're hearing mm -hmm. different things from from these different areas. So what might be relevant and pressing in the northeastern part of the state mm -hmm. um, might be very different in Jackson, you know, on the western border. Uh, so the way that we're designing that the competencies, and again, the, 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 the pilot was, was eight competencies. We plan to build this out to 48 competencies over the next 12 months, wow. resources willing. Um, now the idea is we continue these learning tours and Let's say you have a portfolio of 48 competencies, Larry, um, and uh, you could have a district say, you know what, of the 48 competencies in this catalog, uh, these 12 are most important to us. In every district, 48 districts, every district in the state could have, you know, I'm That's not great. a combinatorics expert, but there are a lot of combinations there, okay? Uh, and so you could customize a package of competencies for your specific district and your specific educators. Uh, again, we built them from the districts across the state. Sure, there's, there's, there's a fair amount of overlap that we'll, we'll hear as you go across the state, but there will also be some, some singular competencies that are relevant to specific, you know, very specific localized issues. Uh, so in that sense, 
this is all rural. These are rural educators telling us what their needs are. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if we went and we did this in inner city areas, if I went and did it in Boston or I did it in Philadelphia or I did it in Chicago, we're probably going to hear uh, you know, things, things that are quite different. So this is built from the ground up in rural areas. And, again, having lived and worked in a variety of rural areas, Hawaii, Vermont, Georgia, Wyoming now, rural parts of California, I'll tell you uh, that this is something that is very bespoke and speaks to the real needs, the authentic needs of our rural educators, and that is fundamentally different than anything we've seen to date. So the, the voice of the rural educator is what created this program. I think that's what's that's really it. good. We didn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 so, that's so well said. And by the way, the state I think with the most education problems in the whole world is Hawaii, where you just said you've lived. Okay, they can't yes. find teachers to save their lives. And I have told them to go after uh, retired New York teachers, pay for the trip over there, let them live in Hawaii <laughs> for five years, okay, and then come back to New York, okay, it's, you know, because the, the, the retirement is great, and they just so so heavily expensive. But they can use this because you, you talk about going out to those outer islands. It's just incredible. They're, they're having so much trouble finding educators, and that's why this stuff all works. You're going to bring a lot to that table. Okay, we got to go in a few minutes. This is fascinating. And also, uh, we have the Master Education Competency Program. And then also, I want to get into this. We got a few minutes. The, the, the Wyoming yeah. Teacher Mentor Corps. Do you want to talk about that? Okay, Maya. I, 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 I would love. Oh, Maya, I know I'm talking right over the top of you here. Maya, you want to talk about the, master, uh, the Wyoming Teacher Mentor Corps? No. Right. <laughs> I, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm pretty deep in the in the master educator competency program. Um and I think what I could say is that we have three programs that are like synergistic <laughs> with each other, right? One is the mentor teacher core and it um but as far as the interworkings of that program, I am not well versed in that. So I think that if you want to really understand it, the dean probably needs to answer that question. Um Back to the dean. I do wanna if I could ahead. just add one thing though about the conversation sure. we, we have were about, just we have having about, about four about minutes the, left. So go ahead. Four minutes. Okay, so go perfect. Ahead. I'll be super yeah. fast. I think that one thing to understand um is in a lot of rural spaces, there's one teacher that does a whole lot of jobs, right? So maybe a district has one social studies teacher that covers eight through 12. And with this competency program, it's, it's creating a connection for that isolated teacher with other teachers through the programming of, of this program, right? And so I think that's really important in Wyoming where there's so much distance. It's not like we can all, you know, get all the social studies teachers together in a convenient location. So it builds that that opportunity for them to connect as well. It, so, it's, I just wanted to kind of so point that out. Important. So, so Larry, to the uh, to, to the 30% of U.S. teachers that work in rural schools that are experiencing some form of geographic isolation, uh, that time the that I spent in front of the legislature this summer, the tyranny yeah. of distance, okay? The first thing we did last summer, we launched the Wyoming Teacher Mentor Corps. And the Teacher Mentor Corps is effectively an umbrella network of well-prepared and, and, and consistently supported mentors across the state. So we're trying to build mentoring capacity 
to support teachers anywhere in the state. And we brought in our, we put out a call for, uh, for proposals for this 18 month cohorted program last year. We had room for 20 people in the first, in the first, uh, cohort. We got about 100 nominations from across the state. We chose 20. We're uh, now selecting our second cohort for the program. But the idea is that we're, we're really trying to upskill and make consistent and keep these folks connected to the university so they're, they're constantly getting information and the energy that they need as mentors That's um, right. to develop a, you know, a group of 100 mentors in a state like ours that are well-trained and consistently connected back to learning. Uh, that can be a game changer in terms of uh, supporting the induction period for our well, it can, teachers. It can be a g- can game be. changer in terms of retention because you're not alone out there. When you think you're alone it. out That's there. That's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, here, here, here's, mm-hmm. here's your partner, right? Right. Yeah. So, and so that capacity also gives our veteran teachers, our master teachers, an opportunity to give back and, and plug back in and renew themselves that way plug. too. So, it's turned out to be a fantastic program, and uh, I'm having conversations with some colleagues in Maine and colleagues in Vermont oh. uh, about uh, expanding the the Wyoming Teacher Mentor Corps to be something something more like the Rural Teacher Mentor Corps. Uh, four areas, and that we see this geographic isolation. But we really it could be a, a national. It doesn't have to be Maine or Vermont or Wyoming. It could be a national rural teacher mentor corps that develops state that, state units. I mean, it's really a that good is part idea. of the vision. Yep. Yeah. And I think that walks idea. alongside the Master Educator Competency Program. That too can mm-hmm. be national for for rural educators. So back to the right. legislature. The 825 teachers are replacing 500, a whole of 300, 325 teachers. Larry, if we cut attrition in half from 11% to 5.5%, we have a teacher surplus in Wyoming. And we can begin thinking about, like, how we recruit differently to get the teachers that we we really want rather than just those that we need to get them in the classroom. So that's That's, the game in the teacher mentor corps. In the Master Educator Competency Program, we have a high altitude pathways program, this college or career readiness trying to bring people into education is a, is a third leg of this. Uh, that's, the, that, that's what we're up to, Larry, and I really appreciate your interest. And, and you're right, uh, I could not do this without Maya, her colleague William in Learning Design and Technology, and the fabulous nice. faculty at the University of Wyoming. So we really appreciate your interest, and I look forward to continue to learn from you. I'm going to come. We're going to get get in touch. By the way, guys, we publish a big magazine and we have a big website. And I'm just going to say this to you. I'll get in touch with you. You're welcome to get this stuff over there so we can start to publicize it even more than we're doing on this podcast. And as we wind down, we have about a minute left. I just want to say to Scott, Scott, Maya, I'm going to ask you one question and then Scott will give you the answer. Are you ready, Maya? All right. (laughs) Why is the University of Vermont which is University of Vermont, called UVM instead of just UV. Okay? Now, you don't have to answer that, but Scott, formerly at UVM, will answer that question for you. Why is the University oh. of Vermont UVM? Oh, huh. Let's see. Where is the University of Vermont located? What mountain range is that located? In? No. Well, kind of. Well, yeah, it's Green good. Mountain. So there you Universitas go. Ver- Veritas Montes. I think if I got my Latin correct, you got it. University right. of the Green Mountains, right? Okay. That's right. Do I win something for that, Larry? You do. It's three words, <laughs> not two. Maya, you heard it here. You heard it here. Okay. UVM, three words, not two. University of Vermont, University of the Green Mountains. You did good, Scott. You get an A, Professor. Thank you, Larry. 
You're welcome. Hey, guys, this was great. I will say that was a softball, but I did have that up my sleeve. Thank you. (laughs) You win bar bets. Most people can't answer it, Scott. I promise you. Okay? I promise you. Okay? You guys take care. Thank you, and I will be in touch. Okay? We'll help you publicize all this. Okay? Thank you, Larry. Thanks, Maya. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. You guys take care and enjoy that beautiful state you live in. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Aren't they great? It's University of Wyoming. Check it out, Dr. Scott Thomas, who's the Dean of Education over there, Dr. Maya Williams, who's an Assistant Professor of Learning Design and Technology, John White, thanks a million, okay, help me set up the show. We're going to archive at ace-ed.org. I'm Larry Jacobs. Thanks for listening, and everybody have a great day.